we are in the middle of a series called Why Church? And we are taking about six weeks of time to talk about what it means to be a church family here at Four Oaks. Who are we to be in relationship to each other? How, how are we to do community and leadership and service and membership and our commitments together? And it's an interesting time to be here because it, it really kind of goes back to the question of what would compel us as a leadership to take time out during this season. It's a busy season. We've just done a series on Philippians and forgiveness, and we got Easter coming up, and then a series on Job after that. What would compel us to take six weeks of time here, right in the middle of the spring, to talk about, of all things, the church? Why this series? Why now? I've told our pastoral team, um, you know, in, in five years, Four Oaks, I think we're going to look back on this season and say, we just absolutely lost our mind in 2013 and 14. There's just been a lot that's happened over the last six to eight months. Ton of changes, um, ton of moving pieces. Because, I mean, one, we, we've hired two new pastors, Dave Harvey, pastor of preaching. He'll be back with us soon. Um, Lance Olam, uh, Midtown Campus Pastor. You know, we love those guys and everything. We'll think we'll probably keep them. But nonetheless, okay, always integrating new guys into the team, that's, that's, that's a thing. Um, we've kind of shifted uh, in our emphasis in terms of our corporate preaching and teaching. We, we operate from a team model um, that seeks to, to highlight um, the diversity of gifts that are present and to, to really build up the body and not center things just around one person. And we think that's biblical and healthy, but it's, but it's a change, okay? It's a, it's a switch. Because we've refreshed our vision this past season. We've really said, you know what? Going forward, we need to put the accent not just on growing inwardly as a church, although we need to do, continue to do that, but outwardly. Um, we, need to, we need to refresh our vision of multiplication, that we want to multiply Christians and churches and campuses. Um, guys, we, I mean, we've launched a second campus down in Midtown. If you think about it, there are 150 people worshiping today at the Midtown campus, and you don't know most of them, and most of them don't know you. I think you all probably like each other if you met. But nonetheless, okay, that's, these are all massive organizational corporate sorts of shifts. We've cast a vision for what it means to be for as, a, as, a, as a facility here on the northeast side of town. How do we be a third place? How do we bring the YMCA and the Red Eye Coffee? And we'll update you on all those things as we move forward. Guys, lots happening. And we think as a leadership, as pastors and elders, with all of these things in motion, now is a good time for us to hit pause, to catch our breath, and say and remind ourselves and ask, what does it mean to be a part of the local church here at Four Oaks. What are our foundational commitments to each other? Who is going to grab hold of the vision that God has given us and march forward into the future as a church family? Hence, this series, Why Church? Guys, last week, Pastor Dave kicked off this series talking about building the church and he made a real compelling case about why the local church should be the locus and focus of our spiritual lives, why membership is important. If you weren't here, repent of your rebellious heart. Go listen online, not right now, because this sermon's important too, but after the service, we think that's an important message to listen to to get a trajectory for this series. And so 
we're, we're shifting today from what it means to build the church, and by that we mean building people's lives with the gospel and passing on a gospel legacy. When a, when a transition from what it means to build the church to what it means to lead the church. Because if building the church is what we do, then as we're going to see this morning, leadership or leading is the mechanism by which we build. So the title of this message is Why Church? Leading. Because this idea of, of, of building and leading is the same thing in our homes and jobs and families. Guys, all of us are called to build and exert leadership in some sphere in our life. And so oftentimes, when we're in those positions of leadership and our wives or our children or our coworkers or the women in our Bible study or the people in our fellowship group aren't doing what we think they should be doing, um, we, our shift and our focus oftentimes goes to them when in reality, it all falls, all begins and ends on leadership. And sometimes our focus should be not so much why aren't other people doing what they should be doing, but what is it about my leadership that has led others to respond in the ways that they have? And boy, is this ever true in the local church. Guys, if you want to go to a miserable place, go to a pastor's conference, okay? I know this engenders great, great trust from you as your pastors are getting ready to go to a pastor's conference here in a couple of weeks. Because pastors love to bemoan people and their elders and what's not going right. But as we're going to see in our text this morning, oftentimes it begins by taking a hard look inwardly and saying, Lord, what is it about me? And so even though we're talking about leadership in the local church, I think some of the things that we're going to talk about are applicable in whatever um, sphere of leadership God has given us. Okay, so this morning we have two passages and three points. Okay, and our three points, very simple, the priorities, the purpose, and the practice of leadership. Actually, the order is going to be the purpose, priorities, and practice of leadership. We're going to talk about leadership in the local church. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And guys, because I understand the conflict of interest, that's, that's very real when you have a pastor preach on what it means to be a pastor, okay? Or a leader preaching on what it means to lead in that context. It's a little like letting the fox babysit in the hen house. I totally get that, which is why we need God's help. Let's go before the Lord. Let's pray that God's word would have its way, that we could wrap our minds around what leadership is to look like and how it's to function in our lives as believers. Let's ask him to do that. Lord Jesus, we don't want any of your words to fall to the ground today. We want all of them to return to you, and that they would accomplish everything for which you have destined them to accomplish. Lord, you made that promise that none of your, your words will, in fact, return to you null and void. So we pray that would be the case today at Four Oaks. We want to be people who lead well and are led well. Lord, show us what that looks like from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, the purpose of leadership. And here we're going to try to answer the question, why leaders? Why leadership? 
And Paul is going to help us with that from Ephesians 4, verse 11. It's going to be on the back screen if you don't have your Bibles. And it says, and he, and that means Jesus. And so anytime we hear that, and it's going to tell us Jesus gave us something, let's keep that in mind, okay? This is God's word. Paul is speaking, and he says, Jesus has given us something. It says, Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, so he's given us leadership, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Guys, I'm telling, when I say this, you know, you don't need me to explain it. It's self-evident. We live in a culture that doesn't like authority, um, is indifferent to authority, um, oftentimes hostile to authority. You've heard me talk about this one before, but witness the evolution of the teacher-parent-student relationship, okay? So we've, we, have, we have Netflix. We've taken our kids through all 39 seasons of Leave it to Beaver. Um, see, we, we tell them it's 39 seasons. It's really the same six seasons we show over and over and over again. But, you know, when Beaver came home with a bad grade or a note from the teacher, okay, and I'm looking at all my educators out there. They know where I'm going with this. Ward and June, June assume the Beaver must have actually done something wrong. You know, isn't that a novelty? Okay, when they get a note from the teacher, Beaver must have done something wrong. Guys, when the 21st century child comes home with a complaint, what do we assume? There, there must be a conspiracy against the self-evident brilliance of my offspring, okay? Guys, it's just a symptom of a problem with authority. Guys, so important for Oaks, because all of us come in here with all sorts of leadership baggage. Good, bad, ugly, so important that we wear the correct lenses when we start talking about leadership. Guys, our authority lenses will color, our experiences will color everything that we think about this issue. It's like taking your, your children to see the Lego movie in 3D, which for some reason costs $25 a ticket. Have you noticed that? And, and you try to watch that movie uh, without the glasses, and you kind of know what's going on, but it's murky and it's ambiguous and you don't have real clarity. Because leadership, I think, oftentimes functions like that. We know there's probably something really necessary about it, but we're very unclear about what it should be and what it should look like. Guys, so, so important that we put our stake in the ground in God's word and let his word be the lenses by which we look at this issue. Guys, the Apostle Paul does something I think is pretty remarkable in this passage. Not only does he assume that leadership in the church is necessary. Okay, that's, that's fairly obvious on a, on a very, just even a cursory reading. But he goes a step further and he links 
your spiritual maturity, my spiritual maturity with leadership. Guys, Paul doesn't just cut against the anti-authority grain. Guys, he confronts something that's much larger and much more dangerous, particularly in the Christian subculture and world as it relates to leadership. Because you see, there many have come to believe that spiritual maturity is what happens when we become independent from the church and independent from leaders in the church. So if you read George Barna or Donald Miller or Brian McLaren and, and their calls that we are to be people on mission, revolutionaries, um, we don't need a, a, a particular church or a particular set of leaders in a particular place in a particular locale. Guys, they're all really saying the same thing. And it's something like this, guys. Christian, the church is what holds you back. People hold you back. Leaders will most certainly hold you back from exploring and finding your true spirituality. If only, if only, we were just free from yucky creeds and authorities and rules and parameters and structure. These are all the things that entangle us in our spiritual walks. If we were only free from those sorts of things, we could really be free to pursue our own spirituality and be spiritually mature people. And the problem is that that is not what Paul says at all. Guys, have you ever, have you ever found yourself saying something similar? And maybe it's in relationship to a boss or a fellowship group leader or a Bible study leader or a mentor or someone who has influence in your life. Guys, that's, that's, that's not the approach of Paul. He says that it's through leaders in the local church, and look at, back at the passage, when he says shepherds and teachers, those are different ways. He uses those terms interchangeably. That can mean pastors and elders. Look at all the different things that Paul says happens by entrusting ourselves to leaders in the local church. And by the way, guys, this is not church universal, okay, that Paul's talking about here. Um, these are people who have names and faces. These are people that we are in community and relationship with. Who was Paul writing this letter to? He was writing it to the church in Ephesus, a church that we know from Acts 20 had elders. We know that Timothy was a church leader in the church in Ephesus. And when Paul was addressing this to them, he's like, this is not pie in the sky, church universal, although there's a, there's a time and a place for that, all Christians everywhere and every time. The rubber meets the road, Paul would say, for leadership right here, right now, today, in this place. And that's what makes it hard. That's what, I mean, it's easy, guys, to intellectually assent to something that's just not really real. That really won't happen. That really is theoretical in nature. Guys, Paul puts his thumb right on it. He says, entrust yourself to the leaders God has given you. And he says, when that happens, look what happens, guys, for us in our lives. Verse 12, we are equipped for the work of ministry. 
We are built up in the body of Christ. Verse 13, we achieve unity of faith. We attain a knowledge of the Son of God. Um, We move toward maturity in Jesus Christ. Verse 14, we are like people who are anchored and not tossed to and fro. Um, We are protected, Paul says. Look at verse 15. We grow up in every way. And then finally, we build ourselves up in love. And somehow, as we're going to see, Paul says this happens through leadership. Guys, we all understand why children in a home cannot grow up into maturity apart from their parents. We think about all the physical things that a parent provides their children. Clothing, shelter, food, place to live, place to go to school, protective covering. Guys, we have no problem saying it would be absurd to think that children could grow up into maturity apart from parents. But guys, how much more foolish is it to say that people can grow up spiritually into who God has called them to be apart from spiritual leadership. Guys, here's why the mantra, spiritually speaking, of no leadership doesn't work. Okay, here's why it doesn't work. You can stick 10 kids on a playground. You can stick 12 angry men in a jury room. You can, you can put, heaven forbid, a heaven, 100 girls in a sorority house, okay? or 35 prepubescent boys shipwrecked on an island chasing around a boy named Piggy. Okay, whatever. See, I'd get a little Lord of Flies reference in there. You can, you can do that, and you can say there's no leaders. We don't do leadership here. Because we could put all of us in a lost sitcom on an island and say there's no leaders. But guess what, guys? Somebody's going to lead. Somebody is going to lead. A group cannot not have a leader. Okay, and the leader oftentimes in those situations is the one who has the loudest voice or the one who is the best looking, or the one who has, is the most winsome, or has the most money, or has the biggest, set, the biggest network, or the biggest set of friends. Guys, someone will lead. Guys, let me just say this to you. Someone will lead you spiritually. It could be a guy on a TV. It could be an author in a book. It could be your fellowship group leader. It could be a pastor. It could be an elder. Someone will lead you spiritually. You cannot not be led spiritually. And you may say, but Pastor Paul, I'm, I'm rolling alone. That's how I do it, okay? I'm creating my own spirituality. Guys, you know you're being led in that context, right? By whom? By you. That's why it's so dangerous to be isolated as a Christian, individualized as a Christian, because there will be some voice in your life that is dominant. And if you're by yourself, the only voice that you will hear is whom? Your own. Okay. And Paul says, it doesn't work that way. Um, guys, we know of so many people whose lives have been shipwrecked. Um, their lives are littered with the wreckage of making individual choices pursuing spiritual maturity apart from godly leadership. And Paul says it doesn't have to be that way. I've given you leadership in order to help you grow in maturity in 
Christ. Now guys, let me, let me say something here and give a couple of qualifiers, because I know in a room this size, there are a number of you who, when you hear all this stuff about leadership and the purpose of leadership, and it just, it's, it does not rest on you well. You may have had a bad experience with leadership. You may have been in a bad marriage, or your father, or a, a coworker. You may, have, you may have experienced real abuse. Some of you may have real wounds from a church leadership context. Because let's be honest, when people say they've been hurt and abused by the church, what they're saying is, I've been hurt and abused by people in the church. And let's be honest again, oftentimes those very people are church leaders. And so I want to I give a couple of qualifiers to this idea of entrusting ourselves to leaders by saying, by saying a few things. Number one, as pastoral authority is not absolute, okay? There are some branches in larger Christendom um, where there's more a hierarchical view of church authority where, where church authority is absolute. Because there's only one absolute, and that's Jesus Christ, and he rules by his word. And so any pastor or leader um, in a spiritual context has to derive their authority from the word. Guys, we cannot serve two masters, okay? Leaders and God's word are not on an equal plane, okay? God's word is on, a, is on a plane above anything else. It's the final arbiter, which means that when we are entrusting ourselves to leadership, we are entrusting ourselves to the extent that those leaders are living in submission to the word of God, okay? Not perfectly. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about consistently. Is there a pattern? Because um, I oftentimes use this, use this uh, analogy, um, women who are called to submit to the leadership of their husbands, there are things that a husband can do in the context of the home which completely abdicates their responsibility and their authority. Wives, if your husband is advocating that you do something illegal or unbiblical, if your husband is physically um, abusing you, um, if your husband is leading you to a place where you have to um, directly disobey God and his word, your husband at that point, okay, has circumvented the authority of Jesus and you are not required or asked to submit to the authority in that context. It's the same thing in a church, guys. Um, we know that there's, there's leaders all over the place that are abdicating things in authority that go directly against the authority of God's word. Your conscience is not bound in those circumstances. Okay? As Mark Driscoll would say, Jesus Christ is the senior pastor of Four Oaks Church. And we have one captain here, and all of us are living in mutual submission to him, and the way Jesus rules is by his word. That's one strong qualifier. A second is this. Guys, just because bad people abuse a good thing doesn't make the good thing a bad thing. I would say that again, but I could never remember it, okay? But, but, but example, Okay, guys, God has given us money, God has given us sex, God has given us food, God has given us sports, recreation, all those things created by him to be enjoyed for our good, for a, they are to bless us. People abuse those things all the time. But just because they abuse them, it doesn't make those good things a bad thing inherently. And it's the same thing with leadership. Okay? The question is, 
not should you submit yourself to leadership, it's which leaders should I submit myself to. That's what Paul would say. Third, let me just say this as the last qualifier, because you need to know, and I'll say more on this in a second, that we endeavor as pastors and elders to lead lives that, are, that, that you are able to emulate, that we have a clear conscience that what we are preaching and teaching, we are by God's grace attempting to live out as repentant, broken sinners. But you need to know that when Jesus came to die for the church, he didn't die for us because he found us pretty, right? He died for us because what? He found us wanting. He found us lacking. And so your, your leaders, your pastors and elders, we stand before you as men in need of God's mercy and grace just like you. We don't do this perfectly. Oftentimes we don't even do it well. But we try to do it faithfully under the authority of the chief shepherd, who is our shepherd, capital S. We are shepherds, little s. Ultimately, though, this is the plan God's given us. We entrust ourselves to God by entrusting ourselves to leaders who know they need Jesus. And guys, but make no mistake, if Paul were here, he would say, you cannot claim Jesus as your leader without entrusting yourself to the leaders that he has given you. That's the way it works. That's the pattern of the New Testament. Okay, point two. That was the purpose of leadership. It's kind of an apologetic. Guys, the priority of leadership. What, in fact, are leaders to do? What is, what is the leader's job description? 1 Peter 5. It'll be on the t- screen behind us. Peter says this, he says, he's speaking to leaders in the church, okay, so any, any and, and guys, this, 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 this idea of spiritual leadership can apply in a variety of places, the home, fellowship group leadership, women leading a Bible study, men leading a Bible study. Peter says the shepherd leaders, the flock of God, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Guys, what's the first thing that you do, probably, when someone approaches you about taking a new job? What are the two questions that you're instinctively going to ask? What are they? How much does it pay, okay, and what do I do? What's the job description? What am I ultimately responsible here for? What am I being hired to do? Guys, the shortest amount of time I've ever held a job was about 10 minutes, okay? Again, engenders great trust, I know. I was in seminary um, looking for a part-time job. I saw an ad in the paper. Do you remember those things? The newspaper, you saw, okay, classified ads in them. And you've seen the ads before, make $25 by what? Doing nothing, right? Okay, by, by working from home, which just sounded 
awesome and great, okay? But that's all the job description says. Work from home, be flexible and free and spontaneous and somehow make a lot of money doing it, okay? So I show up and they handed me a big case of steak knives and said, go to it. That job lasted about 10 minutes. Why? Okay, because there was a murky and ambivalent job description. Now, guys, this is... Here is why this issue of a pastor or elder's job description is so important, okay? This is why this is important to you. Guys, when the leader gets the job description all wrong, okay, or when the church assigns the leader a job description that's all wrong, what the church becomes about is all wrong, okay? Because this issue of job description and what a leader is to do has real spiritual consequences for your life and for my life. Okay, guys, and we can see this in the mainline churches which are quickly fading and dying from the scene. Because there was a point in time, 60, 70 years ago, 80 years ago, when there was no evangelical branch of Protestantism in the United States. It was mainline denominations, Presbyterian, Methodist, um, Episcopal, all of them to some to varying degrees faithful to the gospel. And slowly over time, um, when people in those churches began to assign responsibilities and priorities to pastors to things that were important but were not of primary importance, so whether it was social causes or doing this good thing or that good thing, slowly over time, the gospel was lost. And guys, when the gospel is lost, souls are hurt. That has real spiritual consequences for people. Because when we think about what an elder or pastor is fundamentally called to do, okay, we need to understand this, guys. There are many things that we could do, many great things. There's a ton of awesome things that we could do. But according to Peter, there's only a couple of things that we should do, okay? Because oftentimes in the church, leaders can be so consumed with doing many important things, but not doing the most important things. And what I want us to understand is that has real spiritual consequences for people's souls. Guys, we need to get this right. So what does Peter say? Guys, the metaphor for the New Testament for how a pastor, elder, church leader is to conceive of their job description, and this is so clear, it is one of being a shepherd. The interesting thing, there are guys in the evangelical world who say we shouldn't even use that term anymore. What what a pastor is is a CEO. He raises funds, he manages a budget, he oversees his staff, he casts a vision, but fundamentally, we cannot get away from what Peter says, is that we have a chief shepherd who as empowered and entrusted and appointed under shepherds, little s, to lead and teach and pray and care for the flock of God, which is us. Guys, you need to, before I say any more, you need to know this too. Is as one of your pastors, you need to know, I need the same things you do. That's why we have a plurality of leadership. Oftentimes in church models, when there is one singular leader, 
who is not necessarily accountable or in community or fellowship with other leaders, dangerous and bad things happen. You need to know as your pastors, we live in submission and under the authority of our elders just as you do. They are a spiritual authority for us. And so when I'm calling us to entrust ourselves to them, I want you to know we, want, we are striving and endeavoring to walk in the same way. Guys, there's two primary categories for what it means to be a shepherd. Okay? Oftentimes we think of, of shepherds as tender and kind and loving and caring and the lamb around the neck, and that's all totally true. But what else does a shepherd do? What, what, what else does a shepherd have to do? It's got to like beat off wolves. Um, shepherds have to take their stick and help move the sheep along. Shepherds have to rescue sheep from dangerous places. You, you get the metaphor. But listen to how Acts 6 describes fundamentally what, it, what a shepherd does. Okay, in two aspects to this. There's the word, and then there's prayer. Okay, Acts 6, 2. And the twelve, that's the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, now, now think about this. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Guys, was, the, was serving tables, was that a good thing? It's a great thing. Because there's a lot of great things that this church does, that other churches do, that the New Testament church was striving to do. But the apostles were saying, if we devote ourselves to that, there's other things that we can't devote ourselves to. And so what do they say? It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will anoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Both of those are aspects of what we think it means to be a shepherd, the word and prayer. And by the word, this is what we mean. Teaching, preaching, discerning error, okay, doctrinal integrity, calling faithful pastors, church discipline, confronting, rebuking, rebuking, exhorting. Because understand this, that is not just what merely happens here. Okay? What happens on a Sunday morning certainly is the compass for the church. Because when we talk about preaching and teaching, what we mean is that we want to saturate every area of our church life with the Word of God. Um, that's, not, that's preaching, but it's also fellowship groups, men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, children's ministries, student ministries. Guys, we do not just want to be busy about our various activities and attach a Bible verse at the end of it. Okay? We want the Bible to be the very air that we breathe. And that's why the elders have set aside, and remember, pastors and elders biblically are the same thing. And here at Four Oaks the elders have set aside six pastors who are making their living uh, vocationally by preaching and teaching the gospel. Because you need to know, your elders see this as the highest priority. Okay? Not just publicly, but privately. Engaging people's hearts with God's word. Permeating ministries with God's word. Teaching, leading, guiding, shepherding. Secondly, Acts 6 tells us that they wanted to devote themselves to prayer. When we think about prayer, 
um, there's, a whole, there's a whole context here, I think, of what it means to care for people, to meet with people, to counsel with people, to talk, to engage, to encourage, to love. Because lots, there's several ways that we try to pattern that here at Four Oaks. Um, one, we, we do pray for the church family. We gather every Tuesday morning to pray. We do that, done that for, for many years. As we make ourselves available after the church to pray for you. Because that's not perfunctory. That's not ceremonial. Um, that is to establish a biblical pattern that you have accessibility to leaders when you have concerns and cares in your life that a leader can pray for you. Because we do this through fellowship groups. We have a, a plurality, what we call a network of care, where we seek to establish a pastoral or elderly or elder presence in every member's life here at Four Oaks Church. We don't do this perfectly. We try to do it faithfully. But fundamentally, guys, um, our, I want to say two things. Our elders have made this possible for us. Um, they have set a pattern, they have set a trajectory, and they have said, these are the two things at the end of the day, pastors, that we are to be about. And they are to be about as elders. Ministry of the word and ministry of the prayer. There's, there, there's four or five other things that we could do, and some we do often. But at the end of the day, the things that we think we will have to give an account to the Lord on are these things. And let me say this, secondly, to you as a church family. As the the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians is writing to them about brotherly love. and He says, on this subject, you have no need for anyone to write to you. And what he means is, Thessalonians, you are already doing this so well. All I can say is keep at it. Keep going. Do it more and more. And folks, you need to know on behalf of the pastors and elders, that is our heart about ministry to this church family. You make ministry a joy. Um, you, we feel complete and total support from you about where the fundamentals of our job descriptions lie. You have been generous. Um, you have been supportive. You have been submissive. Um, you have been encouraging. Guys, you don't, you, I, I don't think this happens, you don't drive by the church parking lot and look and count the pastor's cars, okay? I mean, when we had three minivans, I loved to park a van outside just to make everybody think I was here all the time, but I really wasn't. Um, but guys, we, we, don't, we don't have that vibe here. And we, guys, because you make ministry here of joy, you've given a great trust. We want to honor that because we want to be the shepherds that Peter talks about here. Because listen to all the things that he says that say to you, but he says to us. He says, shepherd the flock of God not under compulsion, not because we have to, um, not for shameful gain, not because we want money or prestige or fame, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge. We fail at that at times, but we have to see ourselves, we want to see ourselves as those just like you who are in need of mercy and grace. We want to be an example to the flock, as all of these things you need to know as your leaders, we prayerfully need God's grace on. Thank you for your encouragement and support. So the priorities, the purpose of leadership, the practice of leadership, let me say one or two things and we're done because we're out of time. Guys, 
Pastor Dave talked about membership last week, but let me just let, 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 let me say one let me say another word about it. Because we believe membership is what connects people to leaders. We just we that's fundamentally the whole biblical case right there. First Peter five, elders shepherd the flock. Who? Which flock? Which ones? Um, Hebrews thirteen, submit to your leaders. Okay, Lord, which which leaders? We just think membership is what connects leaders to people and people to leaders. Guys, we are one of our highest priorities to help you connect to a local body of believers, a community of believers where you can grow into maturity, that you can experience what Paul talks about in Ephesians 4. Um, doesn't have to be here. There's a lot of great churches in town. But if we can help you with that, engage you in that, shepherd you along in that, it would be our highest privilege. Engage membership class, the next one comes up in, in May, first, first Sunday night in May. Um, it's a great way to, to pursue that. Uh, we would love to help you do that. Um, secondly, let me say this to all those who covenant here at Four Oaks Church, who this is your church home. Because we think this is a good season, I'm going to end this sermon the where, where we began, for us to remind ourselves who we are in relationship to each other. Been a lot of changes, a lot of transitions, and as we move forward together, we just want to encourage each other. Are we moving forward together as people who are all in? So at the end of this um, Why Church series, we're going to have an opportunity to renew our covenants together. Um, when you become a member of Four Oaks Church, you make five basic commitments, and we want to give our church family the opportunity to say, you know what? Four Oaks is my church home. Four Oaks is where my heart is. Four Oaks are where my friends are. Four Oaks are where my leaders are. And I want to continue to covenant myself to this church family. We think that's important. We think God blesses it when we entrust ourselves to the leaders that he gives us. Guys, Revelation 7, I'm going to close with this, reminds us ultimately who our submission is to. And ultimately, our submission is to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, who laid his life down not just, for, not, not just for people who follow, but for leaders too, all of us in need of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. So let me leave us today with this word from him. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Listen to this, Four Oaks. For the lamb in the midst of their throne will be their shepherd.